Be curious, not judgmental. This Walt Whitman quote was recently made famous by Ted Lasso. However, this quote doesn't just apply when we look at the outside world. Sometimes we need to have the awareness to be curious, not judgmental about ourselves too. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Focus XQN. Mike Indolfo here, and I am joined, as always, by the queen of coaching, Kristen Tabert. Kristen, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm just excited to be here. And, uh, of course, uh, best-selling author, Michael Winnington. I can't just say New York Times best-selling author anymore because now the, the whole Wall Street Journal thing has thrown it off. I mean, you know. Yeah. And well, I'm, I'm sure you've been other best, you know, best-selling authors and other things. Yeah, I think it was like a Poughkeepsie uh... – City, city, city-wide uh, bestseller list too. I think we hit. You're that. really big in in Korea. I heard. Yeah, in Korea. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you know what? It's funny. We are in Korea, and we are in, all over the place. How many different languages is the twelve week year actually? I'd have to count them, but it's. it's I know this answer. 13. You do. What? 12. Twelve. Twelve okay. different languages. It's actually languages. twelve right now. There you go. Pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. There's Russian, Poland. There's Czechoslovakian. There's Korean. There's I can't name them. All. There's also Chinese. Chinese yes. And, I don't know which dialect though. Yeah. Well, uh, kind of a cool thing that we're doing from a format perspective, a little bit different is we're actually uh, live streaming our recording. I don't know. I guess you could do that. So we, you know, we're, we're live streaming to um, our Facebook group so that people can actually interact with the show. If they want to, they can ask questions as we go. And uh, we're very excited for that to happen and be able to have like an interaction with the audience as we record. And then we'll take that and we'll produce our show. Well, the recording will come. Uh, we'll, the show it'll be awesome so there you go so mike i'm picking up on some major energy today what yeah. what's going on what'd you do today so this morning uh chrissy and i uh, got together with a couple other agents and actually one agent that michael lennington in particular really impacted probably doesn't even know uh but we got there was there's four of us and we hosted a group of just agents other agents around the city of louisville that really kind of move the needle you know they, they talk about the 80 20 rule but i think really in real estate production is probably closer to the 90 10 rule and so you kind of know the agents that are really out there putting deals together and whatever else and the whole the sole focus of this group was just to build rapport with relate uh, develop relationships with our colleagues our peers that we're going to have on the other side of the table, but we're doing it at a time when there's no deal at stake, you know? So then when we present a contract or we are going through a tough negotiation, there's some basis of a relationship there for us to be able to work together and get the deal done. And ultimately we want to create win-win situations. We want the, when we get to the closing table with these people, we want it to be a celebration. We want it, there to be a friendly energy between the two agents. And we want that to, to spill over to a friendly energy between the clients and we want them to feel good about buying the place and, and you know the other the seller feel good about selling the place and it's it's a way for me to know that we're going into this professionals market that for for the pros to kind of play the game when the other the average person doesn't even know the game is being played so we had a great turnout it was an awesome conversation and it was good so well whatever whatever happened it's it's showing up on you today yeah i mean i think you get around people and you've there's enough, there's enough negative energy in the real estate world for you to feel bad about the, about what's going on that when you're around people that want to make it better too, and you understand that, I, you know, I, and I'm big too, like, I, I guess I was telling this to Chrissy and cause this group here is, is part of that. Like um, the whole idea of us for us to change the algorithm of, of 
when people go on to Google and put realtors are and it auto fills with all these negative things, like I'm making actual, like that's, is such, when we talk about having a big hairy vision, when you talk about changing algorithms, you got to have a major impact on something to change an algorithm. Right. And we're actually making strides locally on that, making that happen. And then we're doing it uh, in North America by what we're doing with this podcast and other stuff. So uh, I'm loving it. I mean, we're changing the algorithm. Well, I talk to my clients all the time, my realtor clients, you know, I don't, there may be a few of them, but the majority of them don't jump out of bed every single morning screaming, yay, I get to be a realtor today, right? It's, it's not about that title. It's about the relationships that they've built with people. And that's the vehicle that, that drives them to their longer term vision. That was actually one of the questions that we, so we kind of had a fishbowl of questions and we drew out the questions and then we just kind of had conversations. Today was just all about building rapport and so like one was like what's the craziest funniest thing that's ever happened to you on a showing and that kind of stuff but one of them was like how what is the natural gift and ability that shows up for you that makes you love being a realtor because at the end of the day the money's not enough like there's got to be the i I truly believe that people get into this business and they don't really know what to expect and and then when they latch when the business latches on to one of those opportunities of what we say is for you to for you to share joy because joy is one of our core values and joy is being able to share your natural gifts and abilities with someone who needs them the most so when you get to experience that where you get to share your natural gifts and abilities with someone that's really what makes them kind of want to light up and go and be successful in the real estate world so yeah that's it that's what we did today what did you all do today i started my day on horseback oh that so you did a good too you did it all right, all right. yeah I was at the barn at 8.30 this morning and 19 degree, um, chill, cold, cold. It was very cold. Um, it was cold this morning. It was no doubt about it. It was kind of spitting ice pellets too. So, you know. Oh, we had ice on the roads out here. What's that? It's not cold. cold. This isn't cold. This is not Northern Michigan cold. So, no. All right. So yeah, with that being said, I think, uh, let's get into our topic today. Uh, and I think my story, oh, actually, about my day, Mike, I mean, that was, well, your day was shopping for freaking, uh, hiking equipment. I know backpacking yeah, a little bit. Yeah. No, I was reviewing 12 week plans for some of our clients and it's, um, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how people look at planning. It's very, very different. Different people look at planning completely differently and it's kind of the way they think about things and, and some is better than others. I'll just say that. All right. Well then let's, let's give a little nugget here to help. For, so since you were reviewing plans, what is the, what do you think the most common mistake people make when they write plans? Number one, too much stuff in the plan. Um, yeah. There's just, the, they think that their, their capacity is greater than it really is. And um, especially when you're learning a new system, you don't want to overload on the tactics. It's best in the first 12 weeks because these are tw- new, new participants. Um, it's best in the first 12 weeks to kind of stay focused just to learn the rhythm and the, and the system. And then you, you can grow capacity later. But I think too many tactics is the number one thing. That's exactly why. We are called focus, execute, win, because when you take the initials, it comes down to few. Mm-hmm. And one of those key concepts is embracing the critical few instead of trying to do a lot of stuff. And really, Michael, I think when you talk about having too many tactics in the plan and you know that some tactics are more important than other tactics, mm-hmm. when you're scoring your execution, if you're only checking off the easy ones, it kind of skews your execution score of, as far as like how effective of a measure that is, right? 
Yeah, it makes you feel good, right? Yeah. But it doesn't help you hit your goals. And and that's exactly right. You know, you got you got these lame tactics in there and you got enough of them to wash out the really important ones. You don't you don't really see what's happening. And so when you can't see what's happening, they feel good, but you can't adjust, right? So I, yeah, it's it's a really good point. Well, and I think there's a lot of crossover that bleeds in from from annualized thinking and, and why that doesn't work. Because when you're talking about an annualized business plan, you've got 12 months of stuff that's supposed to be packed into that, right? And so there's going to be a ton of stuff in there. But when we're talking about short cycle execution, you can't have all that stuff in there. But I think there's still that mindset, that habit, that comfort zone of, you know, all these things in my plan means I'm busy. And, and people like exactly, checking boxes. They yeah. like checking things off, right? Yep. The more boxes we can check, the happier we are. And there's, you know, being busy is not being productive. And I'll, I'll try to see if I can uh, make the connection here. And I think, you know, what could happen then is like you feel like your execution score is higher than it really is because you're executing things that don't really move the needle. And so then you feel defeated that you're not getting anywhere closer to your goal because you're not focusing on the, what the right things are. And then you can kind of fall into what we call kind of a victim mindset like oh you know i can start blaming other things like how many times Kristen, do you have to overcome people saying well it's the market or it's this or these conditions are you know and, and by definition i think a system is going to work uh outs you know typically uh independent of what those variables could be I guess victim mindsets in the sales arena are extremely prevalent because there are so many things in a sales arena, you know, whether it's real estate, whether it's software, whatever it may be, right? We have competition. And so all the outcomes are beyond our control. So when we don't get results, the first thing that everyone points to is, well, my pricing's not competitive or my client wasn't willing to make concessions on, or they weren't willing to come to the table and, and not, request a, an inspection. Everything is, is someone else's fault, right? And that's the furthest thing from the truth. Cause we never, we say this all the time. You're going to hear, people are going to get sick of hearing this. We have no control over the outcomes. We and only have control over the actions we take. You don't like your pricing, get it changed. You don't have a client who wants to, to concede an inspection you have that fierce conversation with them about why their offer is not going to get accepted then. You know, it's, it's controlling the things that only you can control. And every once in a while, you'll have a, a client who throws a tantrum about, you know, not wanting to Shut go Shut up, Mike. Nobody uh, likes you. Oh, I oh, have a fork on my desk. <laughs> oh, you know. You're, desk, you, you got pretty excited that your whole desk was bouncing <laughs> down. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, Michael, when you, it's easy to you know start pointing fingers and pointing fingers and saying that it's that person's fault whatever else but of course the whole old adage when you point one finger you got three more pointing back at you um so you know what what should people do when they kind of find themselves kind of drifting and, and being in that victim mindset well you know, one of the things is that there could very well be people who have done something that was nefarious or um dishonest or uh you know mean whatever you want to call it um but the problem is is that you don't control them you can influence them to some degree but you don't control them all you control is you so the place to look at um where your real power lies is in your own actions in the way you think about the situation right so um you know you can be right 
and be stuck, or you can be willing to kind of use, use a little bit more flexibility and think about things in terms of the things you control and not worry about, you know, the other person. Cause, cause if they occupy a space in your head, the external event doesn't have to be a person it can be an event externally. Um, you're not really focusing what you can control, which is the inner stuff. And I think, you know, it's, it's easier said than done. I and mean, I think sometimes, you know, so, so really, you know, somebody, somebody does something that's, that's breathtakingly difficult to deal with, or some bad thing happens, you know, you can mourn for that for a minute. You know, it's not like you have to just immediately be a machine and just move on. I'm not saying you shouldn't have feelings about things, but, but some people set up camp there. They, they kind of you know, get the, the tent out and the comfy chair and build a campfire and, you know, they don't move on. And I think, I think you want to accept it, feel it, and then move on to what you can control as quickly as you can. If that so answers like, your question, I know. I, I do. I think if we took it in context of, let's just say the shifting market, like Kristen talked about last week on our podcast, you know, the market's always shifting. It's constantly moving. Uh, but there's this perception out there that the market is going to be harder to navigate um, in the year coming up than it was last year. Um, and like, I keep on hearing all these agents saying, oh, there's going to be less sales, the interest rates, you know, they're, they're blaming all this kind of other stuff. And I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking like, man, there's just, there's so much opportunity out there right now. Like this is, this is fantastic. Well, and I think those agents are doing that because they know intuitively that there are things they're not confronting about themselves, things they didn't have to do in last year's market because of the way it was. And now suddenly, you know, oh, I've got a, I've got a lead gen. Well, here's the reason I can't lead gen. You know, people don't want, and, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You start to tell those stories to yourself. You begin to believe them. And then when you fail and ultimately you will, it's not your fault. You get to have that, that sob story, if you will. And people say, oh yeah, I, I get it. The market was tough, whatever, you know? So then you get empathy and there, don't get me wrong. There are times when there, there needs to be empathy or sympathy, but at the same time, when it becomes a modus operandi, that's your pattern of, of behavior time in and time out. I mean, you guys have heard me talk about, we all know that friend that we have that complains that there are no good men or women out there, you know, but the problem is, is they continue to date the same person time and time again. They just have different names and they're not confronting the fact that it's not that there aren't good prospects out there they're not confronting the breakdown in themselves that they keep making poor decisions or even going to with that analogy a little further they're not confronting who they need to be to attract the person that they want oh good point Mike. or to maintain the relationship it's the, you know it's like if you look at the other person being 100 responsible for the relationship and you're zero then you're going to fail and you know even 50 50 right and so you get tit for tat going on so if you take full ownership of the relationship um you know, you're going to have a much better relationship, regardless of what the other person do, does. You don't control them. You control what you do. And you can change a relationship by what you do instead of waiting for them to do something. And I think that's, for me, like when things get tough, I think it's, I try to go back and think about, okay, well, how, how have I dealt with tough things in the past? And did that serve me well or did it not serve me well to have that kind of, and then just start thinking, I was like, okay, well, what, if it didn't serve me well, what, how could I have shown up better in those situations? And then start thinking about, all right, well then what do I want to do about the situation I'm in now? How do I want to show up uh, moving forward, going into this situation? And then ultimately, I, I think anytime there's this idea that, I think there's opportunity everywhere. You've always got to start thinking about where, where are the opportunities and what's my opportunity to shine and what do I need to do in order to take advantage of those opportunities and still stay true to who I authentically am. Because, and I say that because I go back and I remember when... We had a whole lot of foreclosures in the real estate market 
and people started like becoming these certified distressed property experts. Well, you know, that was great in 2009 and 2010, but in 2011, nobody wanted to even hear the word distressed property. And, and if you were marking yourself as the certified distressed property expert, it was hard to overcome that in a lot of ways. Um, so it's like, okay, well, I need those skills, but I've got to make sure I'm marking myself in the authentic way. And I've got to go out there and, and go after the opportunities that are there. And real estate for me, Kristen, right now, there's a huge opportunity to be networking with people who are um, relocating from other states. Like I, part of my idea is to, or part of my weekly plan is for me to connect with agents across the country because people are going to be knowing people that are moving to Louisville or people from Louisville moving somewhere else and having mm -hmm. those relationships is really important. Like that's, that's going to be a huge one. Um, so um, anyway. Yeah, it, it's not, not a shift so much as there is massive change coming in this country in all sure. industries yep. and it's going to impact every single one of us at some level, you know, but again, we can't control the interest rates. We can't control inflation. We can't control the recession. We can't control the government. What can we control? What, right. what, what can we, we do to change from being a victim to being a victor? And typically when it comes to that, Michael, it comes to, it's all about taking action in yeah. a positive way. Yeah. I think action is the way out of any, anything. <laughs> if you don't take action, nothing changes. Right. So um, I was just thinking about what you guys were saying and, you know, it's, it's not like it's about to happen. The economy is already in mm -hmm. huge change because just the price of, of everything, you know, we three, know three dollars for a gallon of milk this morning, which I yeah, was and, you know, I don't know what the eggs were that, that, but you know, we have a, we have a young daughter and, and, and her husband have three kids and, and they're struggling to, to do, you know, just do the daily stuff and get through it. And, and so there's a lot of change for, and there's a lot of hardship for a lot of people right now. So, and it's already here. I mean, it's not like coming in six months. It's, it's here. It's been here for a little bit. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that you talked about is my action, Mike. And I, and I think that that action is, is a derivative of your thinking or an outcome of your thinking in the sense that the way you believe and the think and your, your values, all that stuff cause you to behave the way you behave. And so events happen and you interpret that through your, your thinking patterns, right. Through your way of, of, of looking at the world and you react in a way that, that based upon your underlying thinking. And, and that's, that's, how all of us operate. The problem is, is that we're unaware of a lot of that thinking and some of it's easy to change. So we become aware of it. You know, I can easily change that. It's not, I'm not married to that thought. It's just, you know, it's what, it's what I was thinking of. It's probably wrong. Um, but there's other, other thoughts, other beliefs, other, other kind of thinking patterns that are much more ingrained and that are, that are part of are almost a part of our identity. And, um, I'm sorry, Kristen, the cat just distracted me. I almost, almost lost my train of thought. So if you want to see the cat, make sure you become a member. Of yeah. Well, so, so yeah, there we go. So part of my, part of the, so I'm just talking about ingrained thinking. I am so easily distracted. I mean, I see something like you know, that's one of my biggest issues squirrel. right there. Squirrel. And so if I try to change the squirrel in me, right, I'm going to, it's going to be a struggle, but if I don't change it, then I'm going to, I'm going to constantly be being pulled away from the working on less effect and less of. So it's, it's, some of it's easy to change. Some of it's not, and we can become a victim to our underlying thinking. That's just who I am. Right. And you get a, you get a personality profile that says, okay, I'm now validated. This is who I am. I can't change. Well, the reality is, is there's a lot of malleability in your brain that there's a lot of ability to change how you do things. It, even, even with, you know, certain underlying, um, personality characteristics you have there's, there's room to shift and move and even even introverted shy people can get up in front of a group of people and give a speech you can you could do things that maybe aren't necessarily your style but but that need to be done and i think that's being a victim to your thinking being a victim to your personality and being a victim to the way you think things ought to be can keep you from 
adapting to what you have to adapt to. So your worst enemy is yourself, right? I mean, that's the, that's the real enemy you face every moment. You made me just think of something, you know, you were talking about how we may have um, all these ingrained thinking that, that we're not aware of, you know, and our, it, it goes back to neuroplasticity and the, the, the plasticity of our brains. But I, I started thinking about, you know, neurotypical people are very rigid in their thinking. Think about non-neurotypical people and how there are all kinds of support systems and programs and things like that that really help them overcome where they get stuck in their non-neurotypical worlds. So the more that we can become conscious of our thinking or why we do the things we do, um, instead of saying, well, this is my profile and this is how I am, ask ourselves, what can I change about this program? Yeah. That's just, I, I got to you just said something that made me think of the way of approaching that stuff is to be curious about it, right? I'm curious why I always do that. Instead of beating yourself up for something or, or you know, it, it's, it's just being curious about things and wondering why you do that and exploring that and not, not kind of getting gripped by it. So and not judgmental, be curious, not, and not judge, personally judgmental yourself. Exactly. Right. The Walt Woodman quote right there. Be curious, yeah. not judgmental. Ted I Lasso. didn't realize that. Walt, Walt was a pretty smart guy. Yeah. Probably. Well, have you seen, have you seen Ted Lasso yet? I yes. have seen some of Ted. Yes. Well, there's a great scene about that quote with him throwing darts. So it's highly, okay, definitely go check, check it out. Yeah. And there's so many life lessons in Ted Lasso. So, I, so you didn't meet Walt Whitman. You watched Lasso. I, yeah. I, I've listened. I've had my Walt Whitman exposure before too. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, Cause I haven't read Walt either. I mean, I probably did leaves the grass. Did he write that or somebody like that? that, that, that I, don't know. I don't know. So, okay. Let's, let's bring this back to focus. What? So are you a victim or are you a victor? And, and what can we leave people with to consciously begin thinking about shifting their thinking to become a cat person? No, <laughs> this cat's driving me crazy. Um, but how do, how, what are, what are things that we can, we can hand people today well, that there... help them become aware and then begin to change from a, a victim mindset to a victor mindset. Well, I want to throw something else in there though, Kristen, because I, I do really truly believe that this is the case. Um, you have the victim mindset, which I think is easy for people to kind of point out who, when they're around someone with the victim mindset, they know who that person is. The person with the victim mindset might not realize it, but you know who that victim, who, you know, when you're around people and they start talking a certain way, if they've got a victim mindset. I think in some ways though, the, the victor mindset is obviously something that you've got to constantly work on. Like you have to constantly make progress towards that. You have got to make that intentional decision every day that I'm going to have a victor mindset uh, because it's otherwise the victim mindset will just creep in and invade your body. And slowly by slowly, you start to have this victim mindset. However, I do think that, and you all have heard me say this before, that most successful people probably feel more like they're slowly failing than they do like they're succeeding because they think that there's more there. They think they've got another level. They, they know that they're not living up to their potential. So it's the distinguishing for me between how you have that victim mindset, but you probably still feel like you're slowly failing. Don't you think most of us though do that, especially with social media out there now, because social media is all about how successful everybody looks or appears to be. Um, as you were talking about that, Mike, I started to think about, here, here comes another horse story. Uh -oh. One of the things that, that we do in my training is, you know, even the worst lesson in the world 
becomes victorious when we hit that place where something clicked, just one small thing and it was a success. And that's where you end on that lesson. Even if it's 15 minutes in, I mean, we made the joke this morning, my horse was being a nutcase and I just, I was tense. And so I said, okay, I just have to, and I did that. And my horse immediately took a step toward me, lowered her head, started licking her lips in, in horse terminology that is a completely relaxed horse she's not a nut job anymore that was a huge success and we both looked at each other my trainer and I always said lesson done that was that was great now we went on to do some other things but I think we get so wrapped up in our day-to-day that to your point Mike we think we're failing when we're not and we have to recognize those those let down moments where you know you you had something successful even in the midst of chaos, we, we miss those, right? Yeah, failure, to... failure is an absolute requirement of success. It you is. Know, if you're going to stretch yourself, you're going to stumble. And if you focus on the failures and not the progress, you're going to, you're going to get lost. And so, you know, as adults, we learn through iteration, we try stuff, it works, then we keep doing it. If it doesn't work, we adjust and we keep adjusting till it works. And that's so, so getting emotionally invested in a, in a, quote unquote, failure is probably a bad idea. But, you know, you were talking, Kristen, about how do you deal with the, the failure and what do you do about it? And I think, um, I know just the rat model is really helpful, I think, do, in that context. So the rat model for those who don't know, um, results in life are the outcome of our actions. When we take an action, we create a result, it may not be what we intended, but something happens, right? It's simple physics. So I take an action, something happens, I get my result. And then um, what drives our, our actions though, our behaviors is our underlying thinking and beliefs, right? So our beliefs drive our behaviors, create our results. We've mentioned before that, that our thinking isn't always correct. It just happens to be what we believe to be correct. And so kind of that, that process of, of clearly defining the objective results. So what happened? What, what actually was the outcome that I'm, that I'm not happy with or that I'm happy with? And then thinking through, okay, so why did that outcome occur? What were the actions I took? Um, what were the, what were the planned actions? What were the spontaneous things that I did? What were the actions maybe some other people took, but just what drove that outcome? And then given that, what was the underlying thinking that caused me to behave that way? What did I do for, um, that purpose? What was, what was the intent behind the action? Right? So, so was I angry? Was I, was I reacting and lashing out? Was I, was I being, you know, my highest self and being creative and inventive was what was, but what was not just my mood, but what was the thinking that drove the behavior? the cause and effect thinking. And that sometimes helps you uncover thoughts that, you know, may appear to be true to you, but they may not be true. Right. And, and so it's really challenging yourself. Is that belief true and being able to kind of work through some of that. And, and I, I, it's not always that easy to do, but being conscious of things allows you to change them. If you're not conscious of it, if it's your sub, you know, being subconsciously behaving, it's hard to change, but when you're actually force yourself to be conscious of it, you, you can change it. And I, that's my only advice in terms of changing that stuff. So start with awareness. If you don't like where you are, change your thinking, change your actions. And then that's how you develop a better result. Yeah. But you, but what's easy to see is the results. So you start with the results in the context of what did I like? What didn't I like? And then what drove it? Then why did I do those things? Right. So Work it backwards. Yeah. That's backwards. All right. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Kristen. With that thinking, though, and, you know, talking about the victor versus victim, you know, just using the term victor, do you think a lot of people look at the term victor and go, well, that's that's this huge success. It's crossing this big finish line. That's that's what a victor is. Um, 
you know, becoming more aware that, you know, being a victor happens in the moment. That's, that's when the greatness happens and being aware of that. And like today, just five seconds into my, my training session, you know, I let down, she let down and we had a victorious, an amazingly victorious moment, you know, did it cross any big finish lines? Did it have me jumping three foot hurdles? Did it have me trotting 20 meter circles? No, it didn't. But it was a huge, huge thing because she went from being a nutcase to the horse I wanted to ride.